This week on Erotic Awakening, science, over 50, and live audience. BDSM and non-standard relationships. Power exchange and polyamory. Sacred sexuality and fetishes. As, as well, well as simply, simply fun, fun kink. You'll find shows on these topics and all things Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dan. Hi, Don. There's our live audience, being nice. a live audience. Awesome, awesome. Today on the podcast, we have an interview with Brad from the Science of BDSM. Very fascinating and very surprising mm-hmm. to us how popular they are. Apparently, kinky people can be geeky people sometimes. Oh, go figure. So, go yes, figure. Yes, it happens. <laughs> we have a question of the day as well, which we're going to get into right off the bat. So our question of the day, Don, when we heard got this question of the day, I said, we can't answer that because we have no experience. <laughs> and then I checked myself. <laughs> because. And I said, God damn, we do have this experience. We're older than we think we are. Don, the question of the day is, as someone over 50... How do you find people to play with? So, well, I don't want to admit I'm over 50. But I'm Are you right, over 50? I I'm thought getting, you were right on, this, right on uh, the crest. No, I'm getting right at 51. Oh, so I you are only, for a while. You're only 50. I'm only 50, so yeah. <laughs> I hear 50 is the new 40. I think it is, actually. So 40 kind of crapped me out. 40 was a bad year for me. 50, not so much. I'm glad to hear that. I can start um, speaking my opinion. What was that, what was that <laughs> uh, documentary we watched yesterday? Oh, with Dick Van Dyke with and With Dick things. Van Dyke uh, and Carl Rayner and What is Norman it? How Lear. to, how to if I'm not live the, a full life. Oh, no, no. If I'm if not, I'm not eating the, breakfast. No. no. If I'm not in the obituary, I need to eat breakfast. Yes. Something like that. So, so and it was all these guys that were over 90. Over 90 living full active lives. And how they're living their active lives. And it was actually really interesting until we realized we had five minutes to get to our class. So <laughs> yeah, We were teaching. So good <laughs> thing we turned that off. So Don, so as someone over 50, how do you find people to play with? I mean, nobody goes to the dungeon and wants to play with anybody over 50, right? Well, I'm not finding that because the people I like to play with are over 50, too. Well, that helps. So, uh, but it does get kind of hard because there are a lot of younger people coming in right now, right? And a lot of younger people like to play, for the most part, with younger people. Mm-hmm. So sometimes us old fogies, you know, can feel kind of left out. But, um, yeah, but I'm actually finding it's not such a big deal. There, there's enough age range that I'm finding enough people so Mm -hmm. but not everybody is I'm absolutely not finding any problem playing with people even though I'm over 50 people that are under 50 have no problem asking me to play playing with me Mm -hmm. some people choose not to some people have an age preference Mm -hmm. I don't want to play with anybody over 50 or I know some people people in our age I don't I feel a little funny playing with 22 year olds yes but we have a 30 year old girlfriend let's not get into that That okay so yeah Okay, let's get into that. She has no problem with playing with somebody else. She has no problem. I'm the one that has the the hiccups every now and then of how young she is. The reality is, uh, oh, podcast listeners, if you go to your local dungeon, Mm -hmm. then there are going to be people that are over 50 there. There are TNG nights specifically for people that are under 50 or actually Uh, under under 35, 35, depending on the region, right? But chances are you're going to find a very wide range of people. If you're looking for someone to play with, go to your local play space or your local events, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find people there. It's not a big deal. And, you know, and what some people have done in um, our location is, is that we have TNGers that have their stuff in their parties. And then we have the old farts that have their parties in another city (laughs) close by, right? And then there's another group that started something called This Generation. 
And it was literally so that they could find people between 35 and, I don't know, 65, I guess. Right. So, and they started their own thing. So that's an option as well. I, I love the fact that some of our audience members are nodding their heads. Yes, I get that. And <laughs> some of our younger audience members are going, I don't know, what's your problem? It's, it's only 2 a.m., for God's sake. Oh, we'll see. And that's another thing, too. Yes. Some of us old people can't find people to play with because we want to play it nine. We actually suggested as a joke that we should start our parties at 4 p.m. and the old people could play at 4 p.m. and be done at 9 p.m. and then everybody <laughs> else that had energy and was younger could take over and shut the place down. So I love know, that idea. I so do I. Good. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I think what they're concerned about is, is that we've got so many new people coming into the community and a lot of them are younger that it just seems like they don't have as many people to choose from. You know, and you kind of get into that. Um, what we've seen before, too, is that the people that seem to be coming into the community are the, the younger ones, right? So the TNGers that maybe they don't have families yet. Maybe they don't have a lot of responsibilities yet. And, and I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here. But, um, and then you have the kinksters that are coming in because the kids have finally moved the fuck out. Right. right? And they can go do that, what they want to do. So, you know, you've kind of got those two groups. So it can be hard to find but the solution still is the same. How do I find somebody to play with over 30, over 22, right. over 60? You go out to where people are playing, and they're there. And you show up. I have yeah. absolutely can speak. Uh, it's two years of running the Columbus space along with Barrick and Sheba. The age range is from everybody to everybody. 19 to... Literally. Yeah, literally. We had a girl whose birthday was yesterday uh -huh. come in, and she said, I just turned 19. I'm in. Yay. Yep. And then it, we've got the older generation as well. I know another way you can find people over 50 to play with, too, though. Well, me and you. If you'd like to play with Dan and Dawn, you can comment <laughs> on the comment form on the webpage, eroticawakening.com. There you'll find other ways to contact us as well as where we'll be presenting past podcast links. Past podcast episodes, pa -pa, pa -pa -pa -pa. and links to other <laughs> newsletters and other stuff. For our audio, for our listener audience, nah, I don't edit these things. Let's go on. You can also follow us on FetLife. The group is Erotic Awakening, two words, and we are the owners, and you can just FET mail us there. So, Don, here we are in Atlanta at the LLC. Uh, this is our, my first time at LLC. It is my not second your time. first time. It's been your a while, though. Time. It's been years, uh, the Detroit one that I went to. I have actually been to more classes at this event than the last three events combined. Mm -hmm. It is a different kind of thing that it they're is. offering. It is, a, it is, well, class. You week out to teach how to be educational and entertaining. Nobody actually books that class for us. Right. So that was a wonderful opportunity to teach that. Well, that's because the um, people that are here are all about learning how to be leaders and how to run things. So they're trying to find um, uh, how to be a better presenter, how to be a podcaster, how to run a group, how right. to find volunteers, how to bring the TNG staff, people in, how to TNG, yeah. how to cross. Um, we had a, um, an amazing panel that we listened to, you know, and things like that. And, so. and I have to say, I love the fact that there, although there is a play party option, there's a place that you could go play if you wanted to. If you and, wanted to go off And some and people play, did. Yeah. It's not the focus of the event. The focus of, and that's wonderful. There's 50 other events you can go to where that is the focus. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah, there's classes and stuff. But, you know, the, it's also very much generated for the play party. Right. Here it's very much generated for people that want to be educated or want to learn something. Or be educators. Yeah. Right? So. I, I'm looking forward to retiring, and this is the, I'm going to send people here so I can retire from having to run shit. Actually, that's what I was thinking. So we've got some people in the TNG group that want to be leaders and 
sending them here and yeah i got all kinds of ideas oh, on that one we should set up a scholarship uh, that's what i was thinking so. but we can't afford to set up a scholarship because while we were in beautiful atlanta we went to the ponce market am i am i saying that right for atlanta ponce people ponce city, market ponce city, city market yeah, yeah yeah i can't afford to go to the ponce city markets it's the it's not what we were expecting. We were, we were expecting hoping for little artsy shops, and, yeah, you know, yeah, and, mom and, and street vendors and, and yeah. that kind of thing. Kind of a, yeah. kind of that downtown, that market vibe. Uh -huh. This was more of the upscale. Posh. How much was that um, cheeseburger you got? Twenty dollars. Yeah, for a cheeseburger. Twenty dollars. No fries. No bun. Just a burger. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure it. Absolutely, the place was crowded. Yeah. There's a lot of people oh, digging. Oh, yeah, people it, love it. But not really what we were shooting for. There. And then we were running down, uh, Uber or Lyft or whatever we took was driving us through downtown. And I'm like, well, oh, that's where I want to go. And she's like, oh, this is a bad area. I'm like, no, this is where I want to go. <laughs> I'm seeing the shops I want to look at. So, so uh, real quickly, we, before we get into our topic, we do have some new subscribers on the newsletter. We have Sarah from Indiana. Oh, we know Sarah. Hi, oh, it's Sarah. that Sarah. It's that oh. Sarah. I bet she tweets that. <laughs> and Pamela from the Massachusetts. Thanks for subscribing to the newsletter. One day we'll send out one. It's on my list. <laughs> People, it's close to the top. If you are ever worried about that, we will spam you by joining our newsletter. Not <laughs> happening. Our spam, our newsletter, our monthly newsletter goes out every three months. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so before we really quickly, I do want to mention that early bird tickets for PXS is ending soon. Does anybody and uh, here in the audience, do you guys, Atlanta people, do you by chance know uh, Misty Dom and Cream Dream? No. And Misty Dom and Cream Dream are from here in Atlanta, and they will be presenting at PXS this year, as long as well as Sir Luke and his victor, which we did get to meet for the first time here. Oh, we did. Event. I had a very interesting conversation with them yesterday. Did you? What mm -hmm. was it about? Uh, probably shouldn't say. No. <laughs> no, it was actually a deep personal conversation. Well, it was kind of neat. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Again, stuff. I'm going to go back to this is why I like events where there's no play party. Mm -hmm. Because instead of trying to figure out who you're going to be playing with tonight, we getting on the dance floor. We just sat and chilled and had deep conversation. I can tell we were all three introverts because the uh, how's the weather did not go very long. Right. Before we were talking about deep stuff. Um... Don, did you know the Really Deep Stuff podcast is higher rated than Erotic Awakening? Can't be. Take a moment to support the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, or wherever you listen. Awesome. No. Or just tell your friends. Oh, just tell your friends. We just came I from a branding thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay, tell See, your friends. I need a new co-host. She's burned out at this point. <laughs> so any of you people sitting here listening. Uh, you won't want to be a co-host after you hear this. <sighs> Still trying to get through the 50 totally doable sex tips. All right. Some of these are kind of sad. This is not our list. Okay. So, yes. Okay. So far, we've had so, very little luck with these. All right. So what, what do you have for me? Don, surprise your partner by welcoming them, them home totally naked. Just lie on the couch casually, watching television or reading a book, and await their return. Now, that one I'm okay with. So when I have knelt naked at the door, it just doesn't work out very well when you're late from work and we have a sliding glass door that I'm knelt in front of, and I don't know who's going to be walking by. Good point. <laughs> Remember the apartment? Yes. The, the other aspect of that is we lay around naked a lot anyway. We do. It's kind of our thing, so, as a matter of fact. Poor Karen. She announces before she peeks through the connecting door. <laughs> it, it is amazing. So at the, at the poly, big poly nest house that we have, uh -huh. we've got a hot tub. And for some reason, we decided that we will all 
no bathing suits in the hot tub, yeah. suddenly we are all super nudist. We are we all are. super we comfortable are. with that. So, poor Ginger, the poly dog, she doesn't know what she's going to see when she walks through the room. <laughs> room. <laughs> all right, Dawn. How about this for a totally doable sex tip? How about we cook and eat a meal together? Consuming delicious food is satisfying to the senses. We throw n- nudity in there from the mix. In the mi- throw nudity in there. So the nude, n- naked cooking and eating. I'm okay with the eating, not with the cooking. All right, here's the menu for right. naked cooking. Okay. We're gonna start off. We're gonna. Do I'm just some, thinking of all the bits. That some are, French yeah. fries. Okay, French fries. I do those in the <laughs> oven. So we're talking hot door when I say okay. Steve. Okay. When I open uh, it. Some uh, grilled cheesesteaks. Ooh. Okay, but still. I'm trying to fuck with you. I'm trying to get the grease all over you and go, no, no grease on my naked body yeah. bits. I'm trying to figure out how to do that with at least oh. an apron on and my Sorry. butt can be flat. I forgot she's a masochist. <laughs> this is working for her completely. <laughs> Finally, Dawn, from our totally doable sex tips, read erotica out loud. Either draft your own stories or search the internet for material. Uh, we have a book called Sex Stories and Power Exchange yes, we'll just that read. we've <laughs> just read from our own book. I actually like this one. I yeah. think this one can be hot. Um, what's not hot is if you watch a porn and turn off the volume and try and make up the um, No, that's just funny. The script <laughs> as they go. <laughs> that's just funny. <laughs> not hot. <laughs> Ooh, baby. <laughs> Oh, why are you spitting on me again? I'm wet. Believe me. Please, for God's sake, Not stop spitting Not on it. Not the mouth. Stop spitting in the mouth. Okay, and away we go. That takes us to the interview with our good friend Brad well, of the Science of BDSM. But that's, but that's because we have no tentacles. Nobody sent me tent- uh, pictures of tentacles. Nobody sent you food on boobs. Now, Ohio Hedgehog did take care of me the last time I said no one sent me tentacles. And he sent me a lot, but... Not this time. Not this time, though. Uh, If you would like to show us your food on boobs, we'll be in Cleveland, Ohio on March 17th, Chicago, Illinois on March 23rd, and a ton of other places throughout the year. I got to get this updated because, man, are we booked. Mm -hmm, We are. Got a lot coming up. Don, when it comes to science, tell me everything you know about Roman biology. (laughs) Lucky for us, the Science of BDSM crew have that covered. (laughs) <laughs> so, Don, here we are. We are still at the Southwest Leather Conference. conference. Yes. And we're kind of getting wrapped, wrapping it up. We're getting like to the, the end of the day. conference. Yeah. So, it's what, like our fourth day. One of the people we've tried to hunt down to get this particular interview, and the reason for this interview is about six months ago, we did our uh, Power Exchange Summit. Oh, and I made such a mistake. So, the mistake was, uh, well... First, I listened to Kevin and Katie and brought you guys in. That was not the mistake. Oh, okay. The mistake was guessing and giving you guys the little conference room and the other people the big conference room, and then you guys overflowed. So next and, time you're out, you get the big, big room. And, and who these guys were were Brad and the Science of BDSM research yes. team. And we assumed that the science of BDSM... At a would, power exchange event. At a power right? exchange so, event. But regardless right. of the fact that it's a power exchange event, I just assumed, who cares, except for the few or three or four brainiacs who <laughs> dig statistics, right. right? And we knew there was a couple of academics you know, in our crowd, so we figured you would just need a small room and you would just be talking right. to them. I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and, but amazingly, um, the science of BDSM was one of the most well-attended and most inter- what people had the most interest in. 
And I've seen that again this weekend, and we are at the Wu Conference. <laughs> and I always perceive science as being the opposite of Wu, right? It's like Wu is you just, just accept. Perception. Yep. You just accept that a, it's a spiritual, wonderful thing. There's things we don't know and can't measure. And, and science yeah. is there to try and debunk us and take away the fun. That's the way I perceive <laughs> science. But my, my um, observation is clearly that people are really digging it and people are really interested. And you guys are here having fun and the people with you are having fun. So with that as our preamble, tell me what... Th first off, Brad, thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs> oh, happy to do it. What is the purpose of the Science of BDSM research team? Well, we want to gain a scientific understanding of uh, BDSM in kind of all of its aspects, uh, to understand the physiological and psychological effects of uh, consensual BDSM practice. We're also starting to look uh, at relationships, and so looking at uh, ongoing uh, MS and DS relationships and looking at some of the benefits, uh, the motivations that people have to get into those relationships and so on. Um, but we are a long way from removing all the magic. Um, you know, social science as an enterprise is really in its infancy, let alone the study of BDSM, uh, which is which is very, very primitive. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that people were just doing kind of wild speculation on why people do this, had, had a lot of really incorrect and kind of misguided ideas about this. And uh, we are in a relatively small group of uh, researchers out there who are trying to get kind of rigorous information about this. But, but as I said, we, we are very early on, uh, very rudimentary in terms of our scientific understanding. And so it's going to be a long time before there's not a lot of magic still to, to figure out. Okay. I, now, I have to admit, I'm, I am rather unarmed in this conversation. I wish we had Slave Kaya with us, who is a fellow doctorate student and is about to be Dr. Slave. Or even, or even that. Or even bad as a professor, right? What? At what? Where are you at with this research? Are you still at the data collection phase? Are you willing? Are you ready to start saying, ah, based on our research, we have decided that all tops are actually cool people, or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, sure. Well, we have a number of ongoing projects. Uh, our team has um, seven academic publications so far. Uh, you know what we do is we collect data, we analyze the data, uh, uh, do the interpretation. We often will then kind of roll out the initial presentation of the data at conferences, both at academic conferences and also we love to come to uh, BDSM and leather conferences, Power Exchange Summit, and share our data first with the people who made the research possible. And, mm -hmm. and I really feel committed to the fact that when we run a study and we ask for volunteers, we don't have the funding you know, or ability to like pay people, so really they're just giving us their time and effort um, for often, frankly, fairly intrusive studies. Uh, and I really feel like we have an obligation to then come back and share the data back with the people who made it possible. So we do that. And the other way that we really benefit from uh, presentations that we do at conferences is that we get help in interpreting the results. Uh, and often we find findings that surprise us. When we did our first study at the Dance of Souls, uh, the, the event that happens on Sunday at the Southwest Leather Conference, just a fantastic event where probably 150 to 180 people, uh, many of whom get pierced. Uh, there's a fantastic drumming group, and it's an ecstatic ritual involving so many people over a three to three and a half it's hour period of time. only a couple hours away. Oh my God, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yes. um, and we went in there to do data collection for the first time 
quite naive about the purpose of this event. We went in expecting that what we would see is basically BDSM in a non-sexual context. That was actually really our initial motivation is that we wanted to, we had done studies of, of scenes, we found them to be fairly erotic, fairly sexual, not all of them, but a lot of them, and we really wanted to explore, well, what about the manifestation of BDSM that's non-sexual. And so naively we said, oh, the dance of souls. And we went in there and uh, as we were consulting with, uh, with Elwood actually, uh, who's a co-author on our first paper on the dance of souls, um, he said, well, you know, Brad, you may want to also ask about spirituality. And we're like, yeah, all right, why not? We can throw the question in. And Thank God for it, because he was, needless to say, absolutely right. Yeah. And what, Spirituality, thank yeah, God, sorry. And, <laughs> and, and what, what the results showed was that, in fact, people saw the dance as the participants as somewhat BDSM, um, somewhat sexual, but on the whole, heavily and primarily spiritual hmm. experience. And had we not asked that question, we would have completely missed that. But that's also part of the fun of, of collecting data, is that sometimes we end up surprised by our own findings. When we then came back to the Southwest Leather Conference the next year to share our findings with, with the folks here, um, and we presented basically, well, here's our hypotheses, and, and we were surprised to find that, you know, people said the dance was primarily spiritual. They laughed at us, <laughs> and we deserved it. Um, but like I said, that's some of the fun of doing data collection, and we then write up our data and, and try to publish it in academic journals to get the information out there, because mm -hmm. I think Part of, uh, you know, a real core of our mission is to increase the accurate scientific understanding of what it is uh, that people do um, because we think that that accurate scientific information will be very helpful in countering the often negative stereotypes mm, and stigma right. that's out there about BDSM, power exchange, extreme rituals, and so on. Have you had situations yet where you've had people that, like, look, I have a legal issue and I need somebody to prove that what we're doing is scientifically based and bound, not just crazy fluckery. Fuck <laughs> um, I, I have not done so far, although you know, who, who knows if, if uh, I'll get a chance to maybe do it at some point to like testify as an expert witness, but I have heard that some of the research that we have published um, has been cited and, mm -hmm. and has been helpful in, in terms of giving accurate information. Uh, and that's wonderful, because I feel like that's a chunk of our mission and what we're trying to do. Um, and sometimes, frankly, the most important stuff that ends up out there is not even the stuff that we're necessarily expecting because it's not from the perspective of the community, the, the rocket science findings. For example, when we first did our, our initial studies on BDSM scenes, uh, we did saliva samples to get, to get measures of cortisol, a stress-related hormone, testosterone, a hormone associated with dominance and aggression. Uh, we got measures of intimacy and found that, that scenes led to couple bonding uh, and, and so on. But in fact, the big aha moment for many psychologists when we presented the results was aftercare. Hmm. that we documented kind of what people did during scenes and one of the things that we sort of mentioned in our papers as well, you know, this proportion of scenes used blindfolds, this proportion of scenes used bondage, and then many of the scenes ended with aftercare and we described, you know, aftercare is the time after the main scene activities when people sit and cuddle and uh, discuss the scene and kind of come back down to a more, more normal, uh, regular, conventional state of mind. And when I first started presenting these results at psych conferences, that was when people's eyes lit up, the psychologists in the audience, because they didn't realize that these activities take place in the context of a positive 
relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was when they heard the fact that these, you know, that participants then sit and cuddle and and kind of reconnect after a scene, um, that that's what that was their big aha moment. Yeah. And so it was really to me very enlightening about the fact that sometimes it is the most basic stuff that we need to document and get out there that really starts changing people's opinions. Mm -hmm. nice. So how did you get the university to be okay with the research that you do, or, or did you have to? I mean, I don't know the process, but I know some people that they've gone into their universities and this is their goal to do the research on this, and they're getting a lot of pushback. So how did you find a place that was accepting, or...? I got really really lucky. Yeah. Um, my job out of graduate school, I was on the job market as a social psychologist and ended up getting hired by uh, Northern Illinois University into their mm -hmm. Department of Psychology and I happened upon a remarkably open-minded place. Um, I started doing research on BDSM uh, before I got tenure. Um, tenure in academia is basically where you, after a six-year kind of probationary period, they take a vote that goes all the way up to the um, uh, Board of Trustees, and if they all agree, uh, you get granted essentially a career, you know, lifetime appointment. Um, and I thought a lot about the question of should I you know, be out about what I'm studying um, uh, before I get tenure, because tenure yeah, really gives sure. you the protection. And I said, yeah, this is what I do. If they are not comfortable with that, they should know that before they make this decision. Um, and so I was doing this research before tenure, and they tenured me. Uh, mm. The Institutional Review Board at NIU, um, which reviews all studies involving human subjects, um, have approved all of the studies that we put before them in terms of the, the BDSM and studies of extreme rituals. They scrutinize our applications. They've sometimes asked us to change an informed consent form or do something mm. about the methodology to better protect uh, the participants, the researchers, and so on. And they have never asked for something that I have thought was at all unreasonable. Uh, and so I just consider myself very lucky to be at a, a university that is open-minded. We've had write-ups in the school paper of our research, and I remember after the write-up of one of our studies uh, that the dean of the graduate school came up and said, oh, Brad, I, I saw that write-up of your of your, your work. Sounds really interesting, and we had a nice chat about it. Great. So, um, you know, and, and we certainly are very thankful uh, to the university uh, for what they do, and, and I think that we are doing... I hope, you know, rigorous, good research that we publish in peer-reviewed journals, and it has a affiliation of Northern Illinois University, and so I hope that in the end we are doing positive things um, uh, for the university, and, and certainly we're very thankful for the support that we've gotten from them. Nice, mm. nice. So why, why BDSM? Are you a practitioner, or is everybody on your team <laughs> practitioners? I mean, just why that field? Because... Well, it's a little touchy. <laughs> uh, sure, and, and absolutely in the same way that our society has, you know, unfortunately a, a stigma about uh, BDSM. Um, uh, the scientific community, certainly uh, this research and research on human sexuality in general is stigmatized. It is very challenging to get research funding. Um, I've talked to program officers at the National Science Foundation and described our research and they say, you know, Brad, sounds like you're doing very good programmatic, theoretically based research and there is no way we will will fund you, don't bother sending us an application, um, because of the scrutiny that NSF and other government agencies come under uh, when they fund studies that would be seen as at all 
questionable. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, so it's definitely a challenging area to work in that. However, it's a very exciting area to work because there's a lot of very important work to be done um, because there's so little little research on it. Um, it's a fascinating area of, of human experience and human endeavor. That's certainly part of what, what brought me to it. And our team includes, I think, a very wonderful mix of people whose interests in BDSM is purely academic and people who both uh, are interested in academically and also uh, are, are practitioners. And I think that that blend that we have around the table really keeps us honest in our thinking um, because those people who are practitioners certainly come in with expectations and preconceptions oh, and but also a lot of insight and potential bias yeah. and so we adopt methods that we really try to be as objective as possible and so when we give a certain cognitive test when we measure somebody's uh, 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 salivary cortisol levels those numbers come out how they're going to come out regardless of what we want them to and so while we use some subjective measures that are more prone to bias we really try to make sure that we use objective measures wherever possible and in addition because we include around our table people who are practitioners and people who are not practitioners that also keeps us I think more honest and accurate in our thinking and in our writing. Nice, nice. So I know a lot of people that want to move to your area and some that have <laughs> moved to your area to be on your team. Um, how do you, I don't, I don't know, I kind of see your team could easily be a hundred people if you wanted to. How do you, how do you pick and choose who's on your team or is well, that... Yeah. Well, or is it even an issue? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Is it more like, oh, please join our team. I know we're kinky. <laughs> well, it's actually something. I mean, we, we are definitely housed most centrally out of Northern Illinois University, but now we have people that are at other schools that have affiliations with our, our work. Um, certainly Burton and Nadine Cutler, who were uh, very early uh, founding members of the team, um, are out of Tempe, Arizona. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's been really useful in terms of uh, having people with a variety of different geographical locations and so on, although most of us are out of NIU. Um, in terms of people joining the team, a lot are students at NIU who end up okay. uh, finding an interest in, in joining the lab through that. Uh, and one of the things that we're actually very much working on right now is how to incorporate what we're thinking about as research affiliates. So people who are either at other academic institutions or people who are members of the community in different cities or different locations and are very interested in collaborating on the research. And we're working out right now what are the mechanisms of that? Because uh, for some of the studies we'd like to do, we really need a greater diversity of uh, information than we can just gather you know, conveniently in Illinois. We do some traveling to other conferences. Uh, and so it would be incredibly useful, for example, to have a team of folks in New York City. Um, there, there's interest there that can collect data on scenes there and give us um, increased sample size and also greater diversity of what we would otherwise see. So we're, we're really working on those mechanisms now. And uh, I'm if there are people listening that might be interested, um, please shoot me an email and, and let me know and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Let me jump back to one of Don's earlier questions and see I noticed, noticed he skirted one of my questions, yeah. or maybe because I asked too many at one and, time. And you can say, <laughs> none of your damn business. <laughs> Brad, are you kinky? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> It's a question that I am not fully at liberty to answer right now. Fairly spoken. Wonderful. I, and I appreciate the pause and thoughtfulness of that. And I wonder if anybody on your team has started off maybe 
they're either kink adjacent or slightly kinky or not kinky at all, and they're doing all this research. And then one day they've come back and you say, you know what, I've been studying flogging, and now I dig flogging, and I want to be flogged. Has, have you had anybody open your, their eyes from that perspective of saying, going from being a watcher to say, now I'm a participant? I do think that the, I mean, as I said earlier, uh, the team includes a mix. Um, I do think that uh, there is a reason why, and this is different between different individuals, of course, you know, people don't pick research questions completely at random. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that certainly there, people have curiosities about the, the things that they study, in, including me. Um, and uh, it may well be the case that some people um, begin with an academic interest and find something of personal interest. Uh, if there is something uh, that they find enlightening, uh, that's great. It is also not necessary and certainly is by no means universal. Um, I think that it would actually be, in one sense, a loss to our work if everybody on the team uh, also was a practitioner, just sure. because I feel yeah, like that would that. Yeah. limit our conversation and increase the likelihood of bias in sure. terms of our interpretation. Yeah, and they probably see things that we don't see because we're on the inside. Sometimes it takes an observer from the outside to pick up different things. So yeah, I could see the yeah. Yeah, it's, that. It's, it's a different yeah. and, and very useful perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. So I very much appreciate your passion and your well-spokenness about this. And I have, I have actually, from our previous, and you, we had a previous conversation at PXS, and I've sure. actually, my bias has been removed from that, I understand the value of the scientific, to keep in balance, because we're always, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of feeling of, uh, I'm not an insect to be examined <laughs> under a glass, I'm just another person trying to be happy. And I think it's, you know, we, we always have to be careful that magic and science do not actually conflict with each other, right? right? right. One might try and help understand the other, and uh, but at the end of the day, it's, if the language you speak is woo or magic or science or some combination, and that's how you communicate, then that's great language. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. How can people find out? Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I, if uh, people are interested in the work that we've done, would like some more information about it, uh, you can visit us on the web at scienceofbdsm, one word, of course, uh, .com. Uh, you can download copies of our publications there in PDF form. We have a long bibliography of uh, various uh, BDSM-related academic papers and community publications. Um, we've got bios of us, links to uh, some media stories about our work, as well as we try to keep a calendar of our upcoming uh, visits to conferences and such. Um, so uh, yeah, please visit us on the web again at scienceofbdsm.com. Fantastic. Good. Thank Hope you to very see much. you some more around. So. I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Toss us a dollar by heading over to eroticawakening.com and click on the Support Us on Patreon button. Our end music is provided by Pocket Universe, and the song is Whim. The official EA Twatter is Andy. Ooh, the, most per the person we've seen most recently is... I've got a list of list names of from names here in Atlanta. Have to, yeah. LLC. The current sender of tentacles is Ohio Hedgehog. The provider of graphic novels is Johnny Jackhammer and Good Witch of the North of the Sequential Sex Podcast. And the official food that goes on boobs is... Well, it's from 705. So it's the oranges, oranges in the, the booze. Bye, Dawn. Bye, Dan. Bye. 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 Bye.
Well, I'll just stick around if no one's going to